How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 108 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and today we got the A's loss to Arizona. I don't know. I don't, am I saying that right? A loss? Loosed? They loosed to Arizona. And uh, then I'm going to get you guys set up for Tuesday, why we should be optimistic about the A's bats uh, really coming to play on Tuesday. And then I got Westwatch and a little diatribe on unwritten rules and why they're dumb. And a special thank you to Bilt Bar for sponsoring today's episode. And to make things even better, we have a promo code for you guys to use at BiltBar.com to get $10 off your first box of Bilt Bars. They have new flavors. I'm getting into those here in the ad break. So uh, you're not going to want to miss that stuff. So that is what we got on tap for you guys today. Before I get started, though, please follow us on social media at LockedOnA's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for it, you can email those to our Gmail account at LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So I thought this would be a low-scoring game. It ended up being a low-scoring game. Chris Bassett pitched okay. He, he got into a little bit of trouble there in the second, but he got out of it. Everything was okay. He ended up going five and a third innings pitched, gave up three earned runs, walked three, struck out three. Not a not a fantastic line. His ERA has continued the climb, but it was also like 1-2 like just a couple starts ago. Now it's around 2-8. So if he's a three ERA pitcher, that's fine. The A's will take that. I will take that. We should take that. Uh, he was just up against probably the toughest starter the A's are going to face in this four-game series. That is Zach Gowan. He balled out. And uh, I, I did some some research on what his best starts were. It's probably his third best start in the major league so far. And he's only had 20 starts overall. And the two starts that were better than this, he also went seven innings, but he gave up no runs. So uh, that's he, he's just so consistent. I really like watching Zach Gowan pitch. That changeup was filthy. And uh, it looked like they could have, the A's batteries probably could have laid off it a little bit more because it seemed like it would just dart out of the zone. I know that it's hard seeing a pitcher for the first time, especially when there's not much tape on him, to know what he's throwing, how it operates, how it works, when he throws it. So it's not an easy task for the A's batters by any stretch. But, uh, you know, maybe lay off the changeup a little bit. I, I don't know. Baseball's hard. I, I'm not saying that I could hit a home run against a major league pitcher because I'm not an idiot on Twitter. If you saw that, you know what I'm talking about. Guys like, oh, yeah, I could I could hit a home run. I could definitely score a touchdown. I could do all these other things, but I can't score a goal in hockey. That's crazy. I'm like, in my head, I'm like, if you can hit a home run, it's the same physics as hitting a puck. You, you can do both if you can get the physics right. It's If you can do one, you can probably do the other. And let me be clear, I can do neither. I am proud to say I can do none of those things. I'm like athletic where I can throw accurately, but not for distance by any means. But uh, enough of my own physical prowess (laughs) and all that stuff. Uh, Let's talk about Robbie Grossman, because he was probably the standout A's performer on offense today. He had... The only two hard hit balls against Zach Gallon, and one of those was obviously his home run that he hit that just showed us A's fans that Gallon is, in fact, not invincible. So that was a plus for, you know, morale and whatnot. Um, yeah, and for those asking, a hard hit ball is basically just any baseball that has hit 95 miles an hour or above. So Grossman had the only two off of the starting pitcher, Zach Gallon. Zach Gallon, again, very good. If you didn't know him, now you do. He 
pitches like this a lot. And, uh, you know, from a baseball perspective, it was fun watching him do what he was doing because it's like, hey, who's this guy? And, you know, I'd heard of him before, but I hadn't, like, watched him pitch before. And uh, he put on a clinic. So uh, that was fun. As an A's fan, not a lot of fun when you don't have a hit until the sixth. So, uh, you know, that stuck. But anyways, the A's were down 3-1. to one, And in the eighth inning, the A's got to that bullpen. And, again, the key facing most teams outside of, like, the Yankees, Dodgers, and Tampa Bay Rays, get to the bullpen because it's going to be worse than the starter that you're facing. And uh, in the eighth inning, the A's got to that bullpen. And the Diamondbacks bullpen is not great. I think they ranked like 24th in ERA in baseball coming into this game. I think it was right around there. They have like a five ERA. The Giants obviously are now worse in baseball, largely due to their performance over the weekend against the A's. Uh, I do have a Sad, I guess. Uh, Trevor got update for you guys here in the second half during the West Watch. But uh, in the eighth inning, the A's got to the bullpen and they loaded the bases. They got a sack fly and an error on the left fielder, who was a gold glove left fielder, by the way. And that tied the game. So that was nice. They also had uh, a bunch more hard hit balls. So it would just get Gallon out of the game. Just give us anybody else to face. That's the key for the A's this year, it seems like. And I don't know if it's going to work long term. They're probably going to have to really put together some better at-bats early because Gallon had like two outs by the time he had four pitches. You need to work the counts against guys like Gallon, especially when you don't know them. They're probably just going to be coming at you guys with their best stuff and see what you can do with it. And you got to take some of it a little bit. And take, a, take a pitch. Take take two pitches. I don't know. Work from 0-2 if you have to. But get get familiar with how he's attacking you and then go for it. At the very least, you're going to get nine pitches out of them as opposed to like six. So that's a plus. And then you get them out of there faster. So, uh, you know, whatever. Anyways, they tied the game in the eighth. The Diamondbacks won it in the ninth because they loaded the bases. Uh, basically, uh, they got a double to lead off the inning. And then Jake Diekman came in and he struck out Cole Calhoun. So that was great. Kettle Marte, one of the big three that I mentioned on uh, yesterday's podcast, he singled on a ground ball to uh, left field. And oddly enough, they, they stopped... Nick Ahmed at third base, and I was like, all right, well, if you want to, go ahead. Uh, and then they, they walked uh, Starling Marte, the other of the Martes, and I was like, all right, you only got to get past David Peralta, and then it's not like free and clear, but you, you have a decent shot, or he hits into a double play. At, at the very least, you're going for a force play. But uh, he singled, and the game ended, and, uh, you know, the A's lose the game. That I still don't know how to say that. Um, it's weird. Uh, they don't do it very often, so maybe I should, you know, get a dictionary or something uh, before the end of the season. But, you know, uh, big takeaways. I, I figured that this would be a hard matchup for them. It was. I don't know that they have, like, enough professional hitters in the lineup that can work counts. Like, Marcana has been great at this. It feels like all of his counts go, you know. Uh, six pitches, seven pitches, something like that. And uh, he can work a count really well. Uh, Vimeo Machin, I know that he jumped on the first pitch in his second at bat and did not get a hit off of it. But, you know, I, I like his approach against other pitchers, and I feel like he can foul some balls off. He has a good idea of what's a strike, what's a ball. And uh, that I want to see him in the lineup more when you need to work the count. I mean, he has 15 major league at bats right now, and he's having better at bats than, you know, Chris Davis, certainly, who will impress me one at bat and then just flail at whatever is thrown at him the next at bat. So I keep trying to send out the positive vibes, but uh, I think that Chris Davis could start seeing his playing time diminish even more because Vimy Almachin is showing that he can have good at bats while Loriano's out. And if and with Ramon Loriano coming back on Tuesday, that means that uh, Piscotti might 
have his time cut or somebody's going to have to have their time cut or they're just going to be playing DH uh, with Loriano back in the two hole. And so to get Machin into the lineup, are you going to have him DH or are you going to have him become part of the second place platoon with uh, Pinder and Tony Kemp? Does he become the guy at second base and then you use Pinder or Kemp as defensive replacements late or if you need you know, to switch things up a little bit? Uh, I, I feel like he's working his way into a more regular spot. And uh, I think that they're giving they're giving him little bits of playing time here and there, you know, just at the at the dish to see what they have first and foremost. But maybe they want to have him as a instead of uh, Franklin Barreto long term, because once the Rule Five eligibility is over with, once the season is over, basically, then he will have options again, and that means that the A's will have more flexibility. And I think that that could come into play with whether or not to keep. Femiel Machine or Franklin Barreto, you know, for the long term. And when we get to the offseason, I'll definitely be discussing some of this stuff a little bit more in depth if, you know, they're both still with the team by that point. But uh, let, let's get into Tuesday's notes here real quick. We got Frankie Montas. He's coming off of uh, upper back tightness. He was scratched from his start on Friday. He's now pitching tomorrow, today, sorry, Tuesday. Need to get used to saying what day it is when it's not that day when you're recording. Anyways, so Frankie Montas is coming in. Hopefully his back's okay. I assume that his back's okay because they're letting him pitch. Uh, but, you know, if he's you know still a little bit worse for the wear, then maybe he, he gives up a, a couple of runs. I don't know. But uh, I said that I'd have a fun fact about we- Luke Weaver, who is Arizona starter on Tuesday, and I do. Uh, actually, maybe I got a couple. We'll see. On the season, he has an 11.85 ERA. That is nothing fun for anybody except for maybe the A's bats. The fun fact is he has not recorded an out in the fifth inning this season. So if you couple him not being able to go deep into a game with that Diamondbacks bullpen, the A's offense should be able to show up in a big way on Tuesday. I'm, I'm expecting like an 8-3 A's win, something like that. Uh, that's what I see coming. Also, uh, if I, I went through his starts so far. He has made four starts. The Diamondbacks are 1-3 in those starts, and they've been outscored 6-2, to 11-2, 3-0, and then they won the game in Colorado, which was 13-7. Uh, to So overall in his starts, they've been outscored 27-17, to but if you take out that Colorado start, they've been outscored in his starts 20 to 4. So I think that the A's bats can do some damage against Luke Weaver and that bullpen. You got the ace Frankie Montas. So if he's doing okay and he's healthy, he's going to be fine. I think the A's should have not an easy win because nothing's easy in the major leagues. But uh, looking at the stats, A's should have a decent chance of winning this game. So hopefully the A's get in the win column on Tuesday. I think that. Monday starter Zach Gallen is probably the toughest that they will face, so it should be easy sledding from here, but I mean, we'll see. Uh, I don't think Madison Mumgarner's slated to go. He's not in the probables, and he was dealing with some issues, uh, you know, on the field, uh, injury-wise. So no Mason Saunders for the A's this week or this season. Uh, I guess that's a downer, whatever. All right, so in the second half, we got the West Watch coming up for you guys. I'll do the updated standings, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the unwritten rules and why, in this particular case, they're a little bit racist. So we got that coming up for you guys in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you guys a little bit about Built Bar. For long-time listeners, you guys know all about Built Bar. They have soft, chewy protein bars that are delicious. As I've said before, I like throwing them in the refrigerator, especially with this heat wave right now. Uh, they taste even better when they're cool, so I'll go over some of the dietary stuff for you guys here in a second. But they are back, and they have new flavors that they want us to tell you about. And they're coming to my door, so in the next couple of days, I will have hands-on experience with these new Built Bar flavors, and I am very much looking forward to them. Uh, I'll just run through the six new flavors. You got Caramel Brownie, Cookies and Cream, Cherry barcia. Lemon Dom and Cheesecake, 
carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. Personally, I think that I'm the only one of the Locked On hosts that is very excited about the lemon almond cheesecake because I like lemon. I'm not a huge cheesecake guy, but lemon, throw that in anything, I'm there. I got it. Uh, we got Cheesecake Factory the other day. I got lemon raspberry. It was great. I, I like lemon. That's my thing. Uh, apple almond crisp is the one that people are talking about in the Locked On Slack. But it doesn't matter which one of these delicious flavors that you have your eyes on. I can tell you with certainty that they are all healthy. Built Bar is great for the health-conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Who doesn't like a nice little treat? I like treats. I like lemon treats. I said that on, was it Monday? Friday? I said that in one of these ad reads. I like delicious treats. So Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, great for the keto diet, and, you know, they, they have great flavor profiles. Uh, let's go into the Cherry Barcia, because who doesn't like cherries and bars and sias? Uh, cherry Barcia has 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar. That's literally nothing. It's 4. Uh, so that was literally a lie, but it is close to nothing. So I was half right. But if you want to be fully right, you want to go to BuiltBar.com right now. You enter the code LOCKEDON, one word, locked on, and you get $10 off your first box of Built Bars from Built builtbar.com. Uh, and right now they're also doing a cool little thing where you get a free cooler for your bars when you make your purchase. They don't have a lot of supplies. The supplies will not last. So what you need to do is go to builtbar.com like today or yesterday, maybe tomorrow, but probably today or yesterday. Those are probably better bets. And then you get this free built bar cooler box for your built bars. And then you can keep them nice and cool and, uh, you know, avoid all the summer heat and you can stay on your diet plan, or you could have a nice little treat. It, they're, they're versatile bars. Just go to BuiltBar.com, enter code LOCKEDON, you get $10 off, and everybody's happy. So one more time, that's BuiltBar.com. You get a free cooler when you enter the code LOCKEDON, and you also get $10 off your first box. They got brand new flavors, they got their old flavors, they have so many flavors, I don't know that I can talk about all of them over the course of this ad read. I can't. And also, we have baseball to get back to, so let's go talk about some more baseball here. All right, I got a quick rundown for you guys on because we got four games to deal with now because nobody's playing each other. Everybody's playing their National League counterpart. So let's just start with the Astros and Rockies. Not much happened. You had a uh, Carlos Correa double. They brought in two in the first inning, and uh, that was the difference in the game. They won two to one. Trevor Story also hit a home run. So uh, two to one end the game. Cool. The Giants traveled down to Los Angeles of Anaheim, and uh, Mike Trout hit his 10th homer of the season. Trevor got is officially broken. He came in with a lead, a one-run lead, in the bottom of the ninth and gave it up. He started the inning with a strikeout of Brian Goodwin. He then gave up a single to David Fletcher, and then Tommy Lestella hit a two-run homer to win the game. Uh, Angels win 7-6. I, I really feel bad for Trevor Gott now. Please, Gabe Kapler, please stop putting him in with a lead or, you know, the game on the line or in the ninth or at all. I don't know. Fix this guy. Stop putting him in the same situation. That's bad management. Manage your players. Anyways, uh, going over to the Seager Bowl, you got the Dodgers in Seattle. Uh, it's the first time that the Seager brothers have played each other because I think that uh, they've all been hurt when the teams have played each other in the uh, previous years. So first time they ever played each other, uh, Kyle Seager went three for four with a home run, two RBI, 
two runs scored, a stolen base. Yeah, he showed out. He's old, and he's like, hey, look at me. I can do this. And Corey Seager, not to be outdone, he went two for four with a home run, three RBI, and two runs scored. Uh, So, you know, the Seager Bowl. I I could get into this if it's going to be like this the whole time. Also, Seattle had a a lead in the bottom of the seventh. They were up eight to six, but the Dodgers scored five runs off of Matt McGill, who had a zero ERA and six innings pitched up until that point. So, you know, he'd been pretty good. And then uh, the Dodgers, you know, bludgeoned him and poor guy. Um, speaking of bludgeonings, oh boy, and this is where we're going to get into some unwritten rules. The San Diego Padres uh, destroyed, let's just say destroyed, I'm not going to help my case later by saying that, but you know, they destroyed the Texas Rangers 14-4, to and the big unwritten rules thing that uh, came up is... Fernando Tatis Jr., he went 2-4-5 with 7 RBI and 2 runs scored. Both those hits were home runs, uh, the second of which was with the San Diego Padres up 10-3 at that point. He got a 3-0 fastball and took it deep with the bases loaded, giving him a grand slam. And after the game, Rangers manager Chris Woodward said of Fernando Tatis Jr. swinging 3-0, I didn't like it personally. You're up by seven in the eighth inning. It's typically not a good time 3-0. It's kind of the way we were raised in the game, but the norms are being challenged, which if you're familiar with how things are communicated these days, that is a dog whistle and is racist because Fernando Tatis is a Latin player and he doesn't like it when people, you know, do well or act with flair or anything. Also, Fernando Tatis Jr. is the most exciting player in baseball. Do not come after him because he angered everybody in baseball by saying this, and it's ridiculous. Uh, also, if you don't think that it's racist, remember when the uh, when the A's just bludgeoned the Giants? Like, legit, they broke a pitcher. Nobody talked about that. It was celebrated. Nobody told them to stop hitting dingers. It was amazing. Everybody was like, ha this is great. There were gifts. It was fantastic. Uh Gabe Kapler wasn't like, huh, unwritten rules, you guys, because he knows that his team stinks. Pit play better, and this doesn't happen to you. It's really that easy. Uh, there was a tweet from former A's beat writer uh, Julian McWilliams, and he, you know, he quote tweeted the tweet that I just uh, read to you guys, and he said, I remember a first baseman purposefully dropping a, fou- a ball in foul territory against the Red Sox at the end of a season so a pitcher could have a second chance to record his 200th strikeout of the season and Woodward defending it, and now this. And the situation that he's talking about is Mike Miner going for his 200th strikeout of the of the year last season, and, uh, you know, he, he had his last start of the game, and or of the season, and he got his 200th strikeout because his first baseman purposely dropped a fly ball it should have been caught because he wanted personal glory and Bob Woodward or Chris Woodward, you know, Bob, Bob Woodward's the better of the Woodwards. I'm just going to flat out say that Chris Woodward, though, he manages the Rangers and he kind of sucks. And I mean, I got to say, this is kind of the problem with baseball. There's unwritten rules. I don't pay money to go watch the unwritten rules play. I go to, I pay money to, I mean, not this season, but to watch Fernando Tatis and people like him hit dingers and be at their best at all times. That's what I want to see. I don't care if it's 3-0 and I'm like, ooh, they got another run. Yay. No, Fernando Tatis crushing dingers is what puts butts in the seats when we're allowed to go. Um, And do you guys remember this documentary? It Nobody really watched it, but it came out at the beginning of quarantine. It was called The Last Dance, and it featured this team that was good. I had never heard of them, the Bulls, and they had this guy named Michael Jordan. 
I believe is how you say his name. And, uh, you know, some people called him MJ, I believe. And uh, this MJ would make up slights in his head from opposing players and then literally perform a murder of those players on the court because he thought that he'd been slighted. And he admitted later, yeah, I made that up. But then I murdered them and just bawled out because that's what greatness looks like. And I am under the impression that he is celebrated for all of this. And, uh, you know, maybe in the basketball world, but in baseball, you are demonized for doing your best at all times. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys remember the Atlanta Falcons played in a Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, they were up by a whole bunch of points and they were like, you know what? We got this one in the bag. We're going to stop scoring points because we're the Atlanta Falcons. It doesn't matter that we're facing the New England Patriots. Who are these guys? I don't know. We're the Atlanta friggin' Falcons. We have enough points, you guys. We're going to stop scoring and then we're going to totally win the Super Bowl. And then they did, obviously. So, you know, obviously, you just take your foot off the gas when you can because it always works out fine. It's no big deal. And to make matters worse, after the game in his press conference, Fernando Tazi was talking about, you know, maybe I should take a 3-0 pitch next time because, you know, unwritten rules and this stuff. And he, like, apologized for hitting a grand slam and being, you know, a fucking baller. That's not what I'm here for. No, I want to see him do bat flips and be amazing at baseball. I don't care about unwritten rules. Again, I'm not paying admission to watch the unwritten rules play baseball. Fernando Tatis Jr., for my money, is the best player to watch in baseball. He is the most exciting player to watch. Mike Trout's probably the best still. But Fernando Tatis Jr. is like the Ken Griffey Jr. I, I want to watch what he's doing. I want to see all of his highlights. He Even when he's not doing well, he's fun to watch. He has a great personality. I want to see that. I don't care about taking a 3-0 pitch. So he didn't need to apologize for hitting that home run. Uh, Chris Wordwood needs to apologize to his players, the league, and the fans for suggesting that the most exciting player in baseball should tone it down and to not play his best so that his team feels slightly less embarrassed. If you don't want to be embarrassed, play better. Coach better. Make a pitching change to someone who can throw a strike in one of three pitches. Maybe don't throw a 92-mile-an-hour fastball where Tatis can extend his arms as the pitch that you're going to go for for a strike. I don't know. Uh, throw a change-up. I mean, if you're going to walk him, walk him. But if he's going to swing 3-0, he's going to crush a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, don't you think? That's just bad management. What I'm saying is there are other options here aside from the other teams should just stop trying because they're winning by so much. That's stupid. That's a dumb unwritten rule. And uh, we need to get that one the hell out of here. I'm not here for it. All right, but I'm running along, so let's go over the standings real quick. The A's are at atop the AL West. They're at 16 and 7. Uh, Houston is behind them. They are three and a half games behind them at 12 and 10. Texas, after their embarrassing loss to Fernando Tatis, are 10-11, and they are five games back of the A's. The Angels are 8-15 after their win. They are eight games back of the A's. Seattle is 7-17, and 9.5 back of the A's. Again, we need help from Texas, so I really, really prefer Chris Woodward to just get out of his feelings and stop being hurt about stuff so that he can get Houston out of second place in the division and hopefully out of the playoffs at large. Um, so yeah, that's it for me today, you guys. Hopefully you enjoy. If you do, please hit the subscribe button on wherever you get podcasts. And if you can, leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast, because uh, I greatly appreciate those. They help the podcast. They help get sponsors, which help keep the podcast going. And one more time, you can also follow us on social media at LockedOnA's on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any mailbag questions for us or just questions about the A's, feel free to send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. Uh, that's it for me today, you guys. Stay 
stay indoors, celebrate good times, Oakland. Keep wearing those masks. Remote is free. And uh, I will talk to you guys tomorrow.